and welcome to the AV Forums podcast for the 13th of August. I'm Phil Hinton and joining me this evening is Assistant Editor Steve Withers. We are 100% snafu. Audio Reviewer Ed Selly. That skag and his floozy, they're gonna die. And Games Editor Mark Botwright. What is this? Bonnie week. So welcome back to the podcast. It's a slightly reduced team this week. Uh, somebody's having their anniversary this evening. Um, we thought it'd be a little bit unfair to force him. <laughs> To bring his wife along for a podcast recording. You're too soft, that's your problem. So we're going to move things on quite swiftly because there has been uh, quite a bit of news, even though it's a Monday, uh, quite a bit of news today. Uh, also, a big games uh, conference about the largest in Europe starting this week, plus a games podcast being recorded. And uh, we've also been reviewing lots of stuff, so we've got lots to talk about. And, of course, IFA coming up at the end of the month. So let's kick off with the news. LG, uh, to bridge the, the picture quality gap now caused because Plasma is no longer here, uh, rumour that they will release an OLED TV in the US uh, for $3,500, Steve, which equates to, if we don't bother with uh, import tax and uh, VAT and so on, about £2,000. Mm. I mean, I'm just coming to this news, actually, because I've been out all day, and uh, that's quite exciting, isn't it? I mean, we've been discussing... OLED pricing and um, production yields and this kind of thing for a couple of years, since basically since before we went to Monte Carlo. When was that? Uh, May 2012. Uh, and now, well, with this announcement, we're starting to see what could well be uh, a, a breakthrough price for OLED screen. I mean, they're starting to be sold at prices similar to uh, full HD or even a 4K TV. And certainly something in the two to £3,000 price bracket for 55-inch would equate to that. Then that that is a point where it can hit mass market appeal, I think. Certainly... Uh, um, you know, I, I, obviously, two to three thousand pounds is still a lot of money for a television, but people will happily spend money on those that kind of money on a TV. So, you know, if you can get the, the superior picture quality overloaded, and having had the opportunity to you know to actually review two other TVs, I can guarantee the picture quality is stunning. That makes me very excited indeed. Um, a lot easier for the salesman as well. I mean, what are you going to sell? 4K TV? Yes, big numbers, but nine to watch in it. Or you can have this OLED, which is beautifully carved, brilliant picture quality, strong colours, excellent black levels, and uh, all the materials available to watch on it now because it's only 1080. Yeah. It's a no-brainer. Yeah, I mean, no-brainer. De- definitely. I mean, and if you want to go 4K, of course, they've also got the 65-inch 4K OLED that LG are launching um, later this year. Which is priced at five nine nine nine, which again I think's a pretty attractive price for what you're getting. Uh, so I mean, clearly, I, I'm assuming this means that LG have got their, you know, OLED production, um, um, their new facilities online, and that they're producing viable yields. And prices are going to cut like coming down. I mean, I think we've had this conversation before in a previous podcast, but the way it's going at the moment, LG could have this market to themselves if they play their cards right. I, yeah. At the moment, I really it's a, a going to be an interesting statement of intent if any other manufacturer, immediate term, can get anywhere close to this. Am I the only one that's a little bit cynical and saying, but yeah, but hang on, but it's three weeks to low, um, yeah, you know, IFA. <laughs> I guarantee um, you Samsung will have something at IFA. <laughs> yeah, okay, got well, to. That's not, obviously, that's great news for us as a consumer. Uh, it's just, I, I guess it lives or dies on whether this is a category capturing exercise where LG themselves make buttons on it. Or if they're doing, so, if they genuinely actually, you know, turn a profit, however small, on doing this as well, that's where it gets interesting. Because I, 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 you know, wh- whether other manufacturers can respond and whether they can respond with something which produces a black number rather than the red number, that that's where it gets more interesting, doesn't it? So if, we'll see. If LG can get their name attached to the technology out of the gate and be the only one on the market, even if it's just for, you know, six weeks to six months. 
if they if they get in there and use it as a loss leader, but get their name attached to this technology, then it pays off big time for them, does it not? Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Definitely. Um, absolutely. I mean, it's possible, of course, that their uh, well, their approach to making the panels, which is different from the way that Samsung were making theirs previously, um, it maybe it was a, a, a simpler, cheaper process in the long run. Um, you know, in which case, you know, even if Samsung want to get into this market, it could take them a long time, or they have to do it at a serious loss. Because um, I mean, certainly the impression we got from earlier this year, the beginning of this year, when Samsung announced they were effectively, well, shelving OLED for another three or four years. Yeah, you know, I got the impression they basically weren't going to pursue it at all. Yeah, but that was again Samsung with their, um, you know, the, the attitude that they were number one. You know what I mean? And what they they were trying to dictate to the market, a bit like what Sony were four or five years ago. You know, dictating to the market because they were the number one brand. Blah blah yeah. blah. Um, I think Samsung probably will get a bit of a shock for this. But then again, it's Korean company against Korean company. They're going to know what's going on. They're going to know that this announcement <laughs> was coming up. It won't surprise me if they've got their own thing. And like Ed said, it's better for the consumer if more of them then muck in and say, right, well, we're going to re- you know, release one at two grand and we're going to do one for 1,500 quid. As long as the quality is there. Yeah, true. Uh, of course, I mean, one of the other possibilities, just thinking out loud, because um, yeah. it is that obviously this is a 1080p screen. This could be a a very if you like a concerted but nonetheless last effort to monetize i mean as you know as you've been saying this this platform in one the 1080p screen from lg dates back in one way shape or form or another to 2012 whether this is a serious effort to get something out of the standard hd screens before a 4k requirement really kicks in and, and they're prepared to take a bit of a whack on just getting something out of that program before they switch to 4K. That, that would be my vote. That's what I think they're doing. And and I think they're, they're hitting at the right moment in the market as well because, um, you know, the, when it comes to... It's a hard sell for the salesman to sell a 4K TV at the minute. Mm. A lot easier to sell a curved OLED. A lot easier, I would I would have thought. As long as, the, you know, the quality is there. And that's my one concern with this, this story. Um, there's no model number there that I can see. Um, um, isn't it the 55EC9300? Yeah, that's the US, but there's nothing for the UK. There's nothing announced oh, yeah, for the yeah. UK, and we don't know what's going to come in and whether it's going to come in in the UK or not. I mean, the American market is you know, 16 to 20 times larger than the UK market when it comes to this kind of thing. So, you know, they maybe could make a little bit of money in the US market. If they're not going to make any money in the UK market, I, I just see it as a no-go. Um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's possible that, that Ed's right and they just want to, um, you know, have one last roll of the dice with Full HD. Maybe they're using panels that they've got lying around, they haven't sold yet, and they're trying to ship them. You know, just yep. clear the inventory before what I can only assume will be a manufacturer-wide shift to 4K. Um, it'd be interesting to see what Sony and uh, Panasonic do as well, because obviously they were developing OLEDs well, of their they, own. They had, a, they had a relationship, and then we were told behind the yeah. scenes that that had all broken down, and then we got told, oh, well, no, the relationship's still continuing, but it's only for mobile phone OLED stuff. And then we were told, that, no, we're not working together again. It seems to be a very on-off relationship. Yeah, <laughs> but, I mean, Panasonic obviously were going on about their new printing process and a cheaper and easier way and of making screens. And then they went quiet because they can shift 4K LED TVs, which cost a damn sight less to produce. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, it's, it's going to be really interesting. This is really interesting news. It's going to be good to see what happens at IFA. Although I've got to say, I'm trying to get a press badge for IFA this year. I don't know what they've put in the process here, but um, you had anything back yet? No, I haven't had an email back from them. You had an email back from them yet? No, 
I've not no. done anything. I was going to email them tomorrow and say, please can I have a press pass, please? Because it's only two weeks. Yeah, yeah. It's getting, well, it's a little bit longer than three two weeks. weeks but, um, three weeks, three weeks. It's, three weeks. Yeah, it's getting close. Uh, so that's kind of at the end of the month. Um, I don't know if Ed's going to this, are you, Ed? Uh, pass. I generally only, if I ever go, I go at the last minute. So okay. uh, we'll see. <laughs> like everything you do, Ed. Yeah, but <laughs> I, I kind of see Ed missing out on a bit of jam and sausage, though. Well, uh, not if oh, I have okay. any choice in the matter, but we will have to see ha- how it falls and if anyone just wants a fat wastrel hanging around their stand. <laughs> so, <laughs> well, then, well, they invited me, so, you know. Well, yeah, you know, well I mean, you know, we'll, we'll, see how, we'll see how it flies. But, um, yeah, it, uh, if I can get out, obviously I will, but we'll, we'll see how that actually works out in practice. Cool. Uh, so, yeah, that's kind of up at the end of the month. We'll have lots more as we get closer um, to that event. And then, obviously, that happens between the Wednesday and the Friday, first week in September. Uh, so we'll probably be talking about that 8th of September podcast, um, all the comings and goings and what was big um, at IFA. So that is coming up. Also coming up very soon is Gamescom. We're going to talk about that in the games section in a bit. And there's a games podcast coming out this month. Uh, but the next big story is Sky uh, reduced Now TV sports park costs. And they've also opened up a seven-day deal as well. And uh, I don't know, Steve doesn't like talking about Murdoch Enterprises uh, on the <laughs> podcast, but <Uh-oh>. this this <laughs> is pretty big news uh, considering the new football season starts uh, this coming weekend, uh, the 16th of August. And it's now a seven-day pass for ten ninety-nine. That is pretty good value. Well, it's a definite, statement, the- a definite statement of intent to BT, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, like, totally. BT have clearly got them shitting themselves right now. Daily pass goes from, well, no, it was nine ninety nine. It's gone down to six ninety nine. Still not great value, but ten ninety nine for seven days for five sports channels. If you time it right, and I'm thinking Ryder Cup here, and I see that Mark was the same in, in when he wrote the news story. Uh, you could get quite a bit out of that Premiership football and golf over a weekend. Mm, yeah, it's mean, still basically a week's football out of what about thirty weeks of football. It's not the best deal in the world, is it? I mean, I, I, don't get me wrong. I've got a Now TV box. Actually, no, I've stopped using that now because I've got Now TV on the PS4. But um, the entertainment package at four ninety nine a month, I think, is really good value. Um, and lots of great shows in there that I've been watching. Um, but I'm, I'm not so sure about that. It's like a lot of money just for a week's sport. Unless, yeah. that, as you say, unless you time it with something significant. Yeah, but it's it's an absolute cheaper than the full package, Steve. And Yeah, uh, I would never, ever, ever. And, and obviously BT package. Sport. I think BT Sport... Correct me if I'm wrong. Is is that twelve ninety nine a month or fourteen ninety nine a month? Does anybody know? The top of the Pass. Head? No idea. It's uh, this is this is an all Murdoch household. I'm afraid. <laughs> Sky, <laughs> Sky, Sky <laughs> Internet, Sky TV. So. Uh, well, I know Mr. Botwright uh, is is in his sport. What do you think on this one? Yes, yeah, sounds a decent deal. Um, certainly for the for the big matches. That's you know something. It, if if you don't want to be tied down to to some kind of a you know rolling contract or anything like that, then when or you do get to the pub, <laughs> yeah, oh yeah, well, because obviously you'll spend much less than well, nine ninety nine. Point actually, yeah. <laughs> you know, unless you sit there drinking pints of cordial with the landlord staring daggers into your head, I, it's not going to work, is it? It's it's a bit of a false economy that. <laughs> maybe that's just me. <laughs> Um, yeah, that's but yeah, definitely you. <laughs> but obviously, this is running up to the twenty seventh of November. Um, I, I've got a funny feeling if this is successful, it's going to run a bit longer um, than that. And of course, they've launched a new uh, Sky Sports Five, and I understand market that's uh, European football only. You said that like there was a question mark, like you expected me to know. 
Yeah. Well, uh, bizarrely, I because I've, the adverts have been on during the uh, during the F one build up. <laughs> yes, it is. Um, it is exclusive to European football. I don't know exactly what that entails. Whether they just pick random European matches or whether it actually has structure and there's specific <laughs> matches at specific times. But you know, are, are we talking I've, about, al- I've always some- wanted to see you know Czech football or something. <laughs> equal. I, I don't. Know. I'm, I'm sure they've got it all planned I, I'm, out. I'm it looking just at like it's just football for football. So, I'm looking at but, this and it says Champions League, La Liga, Copa del Rey, Copa Italia. So there's quite a bit of. And I think the Dutch league as well. So there's quite a bit there for the new channel to be uh, to be shown football wise. And it, it looks like they're they're trying to push the whole we dominate football type of thing, which he expects Sky to do when competition comes along. I mean, we saw it in the past with Satana and um, who was the other one? Was it ESPN? ESPN. Uh, who tried to push them, and in the end, uh, I think ESPN got got bought up by uh, by Sky. So uh, be interesting to see how that one works out. And if you have a now TV box and you get the service, let us know. What you think of the quality? It always reminds me what the, the the adverts now. They actually, I don't know whether it's subconscious or not. Do you remember that Michelin Web sketch where he's just walking around the football pitch, going football, football. We have all the football. The football is officially going on forever. Um, and it actually, Sky basically, <laughs> their actual <laughs> strap lines basically just say that. Yeah, the yeah, football yeah. is going on all forever. So. <laughs> <laughs> uh, right, okay, let's move on. Uh, Ask the Idiots time. And we did get some questions um, for Ask the Idiots. And I, I'm, I'm only going to use one of them if uh, the guys don't mind, uh, because I think it is a really good one. And I'm going to change it slightly for Ed. Uh, but the question is, what's the first film that you think of when someone asks for a demo of your home cinema? Steve. I thought you just said you were going to ask Ed. I'm going to ask Ed a different question. I wasn't actually listening to the question. <laughs> <laughs> as soon as I heard the words Ed I just Jesus Christ I can't get, can get the staff these days alright well let me go Ed first so Ed I'm going to flip it around instead of film uh, which album or which music track would you get out to demonstrate your system with do you know what music's a bit of a weird one because um, I can you know if I want I, I can pick something which I think sounds phenomenal but if you know if you don't like that piece of music unlike AV where there is a pat, if you like, there's a, a a definite standard to be achieved with the combination of the soundtrack and the picture and the way it just all hangs together. If I stick on, I mean, one of my favourite albums is by a, a bloke called Nick Drake, who was an English folk singer who messed up his antidepressant medication and died at the age of 27 in the early 70s. He did an album, his last album was called Pink Moon. It's 30 odd minutes long because um, that's all he literally had left to record. Um, and I, for me, it's it's one of the very few albums where every single minute is just just magnificent. But I can imagine that if you're a big fan of Crunk, uh, a, an English folk singer banging, you know, with a guitar is is really not going to do it for you. Uh, one of the absolute beauties of having a streamer, you know, network streamers in this day and age, is you can hand someone your iPad and go see what's on there, hit the button, and it will happen. And that, in many ways, do you know, that's the most satisfying thing because they'll pick an album that they like and nine more than nine times out of ten, it's on there because you like it and it, it you know, it should hopefully deliver the goods. And when they hear something that they're familiar with and that they know and they know it from their own electronics and you're hopefully playing it on something, uh, you know, a, a bit of a step up, that's just the most magic thing going. It re- There is really nothing to touch it. When someone plays an album that they know well, 
mm-hmm. on a really well sorted piece mm-hmm. of electronics. It's just it, the, the expression on their faces. It's just fantastic because Whole, it sort of makes sense all of a sudden. Whole really, the reason I came to you, Ed was, and I was going to use you second or third down the line because I knew that that's the way we were going, we were going to flip it on his head that way. Uh, but you're, so you're, it's all Withers' fault. You're I know com- that. Yeah, you're completely right. <laughs> Um, when it comes to music, it is so subjective, and and I think that's what makes um, certainly shows like the Bristol Show and that type of thing interesting, and at the same time, bloody infuriating because you get nothing but jazz or nothing but classical or nothing but that that the sales rep or, or the representative thinks brings out the best of their speakers, but actually yeah. what you want to do is listen to Metallica turned up loud. Absolutely, see, you know what I mean. So, but the thing is that you, you, you know, you need to fight. The American shows have already lost this. That if you bring your own material along, more often than not, they will refuse to play it. That is the wrong situation in the UK, pr- uh, Bristol especially. I would argue that nine rooms out of ten, you bring whatever you like, they'll let it ride, and and make use of that. Most of most people. Most of the manufacturers that take two-channel systems to Bristol are properly confident in their wares, and they will let you play whatever you like. And you get the most unlikely situations. You get companies like AudioNote, who make amplifiers that range in power output between 18 and 1 watt. I'm not exaggerating. They make a 1 watt amplifier. But if you want to play Aphex Twin, they'll play Aphex Twin. And sometimes they play Aphex Twin without anyone asking for Aphex Twin. And that's that's how a demo should be. They are afraid of nothing. And yeah, you just, you know, if you do go to Bristol Show routinely and you are a bit interested in music, bring your own music, you know, either on CD, on USB sticks, if it needs to go into streamers, make full use of it. Do not let this turn into North America where we all sit there listening to lift music. Interesting question. So let's go to the movie side and Steve's had time now to go through his discs and, and remember which ones <laughs> he has. So which, which film would it be? Um, well, I've got a couple of films that I like putting on purely for picture and sound quality. One of the more recent movies I really like is Oblivion. I think that's a fantastic transfer, both in terms of picture and sound quality. So it's a great demo disc for people who want to show off their systems to their friends and family. Um, I think with pure picture quality, uh, the the Blu-ray of Lawrence of Arabia looks absolutely stunning. Again, a, a great demo disc. I think uh, one of the discs that I, I think you put me onto this actually, Phil, and it's, it's a really good demo disc for, for testing shadow detail, and that's the opening flyby of the spaceship at the beginning of Sunshine, where you have all the, the sort of um, metal piping and tubing of the spaceship and within it there's the yeah, shadow it's a, and detail in it. it's a great contrast mm. uh, yeah. dynamic range seeing that it, it's just it's got everything in it in, in just one sort of 30 second clip you can tell yeah. whether the display is showing you everything it should be showing you or what. and another good one there is King Kong uh, chapter 48 I know it's a really long film but uh, chapter 48 the central park bit um, lots of shadow detail lots of primary colours in the lights as well which uh, you know the display should get right as well and uh, when they're walking down the streets um, you know they should have uh, all the detail in the doors and on the cars and stuff and, and you can usually tell within a few seconds whether the display is showing that correctly or not so uh, that would be my one King Kong that would be the one um, if, if you're talking 3D I know, I know it's not that popular these days but if you're still into 3D like I am the um, the sort of floating seed spores of the tree in Avatar sequence is really good for testing for because neg- it's got a lot of negative par- parallax to it, so very good for testing for for um, ghosting uh, and you know crosstalk. Um, there's a lot of depth in the back of the image, but also these spores sort of floating right in the middle of the room, 
Um, and that's that's quite a handy test. And also because they're just sort of very fine, sort of white gossamer tendrils. I mean, any crosstalk stands up pretty quickly on that. So that's another good little test test scene. It's the one when he's you know in the middle of the night and he first meets up with Natiri. Um, but it's a good scene for that. I still like the opening fight sequence of Pacific Rim. I mean, it's not desperately original, it's not desperately clever, but it does require you to have reasonable subwoofer control <laughs> because yeah. the um, uh, Ramin Jawili, I can't remember pronounce the man's surname, <laughs> that's most unfortunate, but the soundtrack with the Tom Morello guitar, effectively, if your subwoofer isn't properly reined in, you just get these sort of giant sort of farty waves of unnecessary bass. And it it's just, I, it, it's it's... Well, it's like the rest of the film. It's utterly brainless, but well bolted together and 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 quite pleasant. But in terms of if you want something, as I say, I, I keep going back to this as a as a as a point of sound reference because someone put an absurd amount of effort into it. Is the Tony Scott film Unstoppable? The amount of incidental detail in that soundtrack, and when I and also incidental detail that you have a real life point of reference to. You know, we kind of know, okay, we don't necessarily know what trains hitting trains sound like, but, you know, we have a reasonable point of reference on what a train sounds like. It's all done really carefully and really diligently, and the amount of information that's there for speakers to find. As a demo disc, uh, to show someone cold, don't know how well that works, but for someone who's a bit immersed in it, if you have a well-sorted system, it just the amount, just the layers of sound and the way they interact with each other. I, there are very few discs, even after several years of ownership, that I think are, are, are many ways as well-sorted as that one. I've got two which I have used since the early 90s um, on almost every reference system that I've ever had and with equipment I've had in for review and so on over all the years. And those are Toy Story and Jurassic Park. Um, Toy Story because it's obviously it's created from the ground up, um, you know, <laughs> didn't exist, so they've had to create every sound design. And obviously, uh, I think Ben Burt was behind that that sound mix as well, wasn't he, um, Steve? A lot of the yeah. the yeah. sound effects and stuff, obviously from Star Wars fame, uh, Jurassic Park T Rex scene. I've heard that probably on every system I've ever owned, reference system I've ever owned, um, and it's one of the films that made me buy my first subwoofer, which was a Rail Storm. Uh, so those two for me would be just things that I know off by heart uh, because I've been listening to them for 20 odd years on loads of different systems and I know how they should sound yeah I mean there's definitely there's no no substitute for uh, I mean I, I don't I would argue regrettably I don't think I have a film because I mean I, my favorite films like Apocalypse Now and the rest of it they predate some of the more you know, combined and uh, and and from the ground up, you know, picture and sound sequences. But in in terms of albums, when I'm doing music reviews, yeah, I mean, my 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 go to list. Some of them have been fixtures in my listening for for twenty years. Yeah. So yeah. you know, it's, oh, it's just massive attack and fringe sympathy. I know that's I know that off by heart because I've heard it on so many different systems, but I've also heard it on the system it was recorded on. Um, so I know how it should sound, um, yeah. and I always go back to that one. And uh, unfortunately, it's probably the only one that I've actually heard it in the studio. It was it was mastered in. Um, I don't think I've had the privilege uh, of doing anything. Wish you were here for, for me. Yeah. Well, you yeah, could do very, worse. Yeah. I mean, obviously, it's a bit. You know, um, it, it goes back to the uh, the Simon Donald 
the Viz editor joke about um, you know the early iPod. Yeah, you can have you can have three hundred albums or wish you were here. <laughs> <laughs> Um, uh, so, yeah. so that was an Abbey Road visit, Steve, was it? Yeah, yeah. Sorry, yeah. yeah. The reason I say that, yeah, because it was a Sennheiser yeah, event, I've, but they I've held it well. in Studio Three at Abbey Road, which is where Wish You Here was recorded, and we listened to Wish You Were Here on their um, one of their headphones from the mixing desk, which was yeah, pretty yeah. cool I've, I've, for, a full, for a Floyd fan like me. That was mega cool. I have had experiences like that, um, like the uh, the piano in Hey is it Hey Jude Beatles. Yeah. Uh, they've still got the piano in the same room that it was recorded in at Abbey Road, and uh, it's one of the little tricks that they do to visitors to play the piano in that, and then you get to listen to it through the mixing desk. Quite special when you, if you get ever get experiences mm. like that, um, and we are lucky enough sometimes uh, to get that. Amar Dylan, thank you very much uh, for that. He asked that um, via Twitter, which is the best way to ask these, by the way. So if uh, you want to tweet us at AV Forums, uh, hashtag Ask the Idiots, and then ask your question, and uh, we will do them. We've got some in reserve now, Steve. Don't we? Because I've sent you a couple that we got via email. So uh, yeah. we've got some in reserve as well, which we we will come to next week when we got a full compliment again. And get those answered. Right, let's move on. Games news next. Right, okay, uh, not a lot of games news, and we wouldn't discuss it anyway because there is a podcast being recorded probably tomorrow night and it's going to go out on Thursday. Is that right, Mark? Uh, yes, yeah, should do. Fingers crossed. <laughs> that doesn't sound very encouraging. <laughs> well, no, we had a minor hiccup earlier where I got everyone together a week early. Um, but the less said about that, the better. <laughs> okay, um, the other big thing that's happening at the minute, and I know that Manny and James are on their way there now, and that is Gamescon. So uh, tell us all about the show, because it's not one which I think a lot of people have heard of if they're not really into their games. Yeah, well, obviously, because it kind of comes in the wake of E3, which is the the biggest moment in the gaming calendar. Um, Gamescom in Germany... You've got a few days, obviously, for press to start with, and then a few days for the public as well. Um, today, uh, time of recording, we'd obviously just had um, Call of Duty Advanced Warfare. Uh, they were set to reveal the show a bit more of the multiplayer. Um, yesterday, if today's Wednesday, would have been the Microsoft and um, Sony conferences. Then from Wednesday onwards, it's open to the public. Basically, it'll be gearing up for holiday season. Um, obviously, you'd expect lots lots of uh, things to do with FIFA and the like, which is obviously um, European audience would like that kind of thing. Um, hopefully, we might see a bit more of the uh, idea at Xbox and Sony's plans going forward, maybe a bit more of Drive Club, um, a bit more of Bloodborne. So, yeah, there should be a lot on show, um, but, yeah, it's very much gearing up towards what's actually going to be on sale, whereas E3 is very much a, a projection forwards for, you know, for a year or 18 months, that kind of thing. Now, uh, I did say that Manny and uh, James are on their way there, um, but they are uh, they're going under their own steam to this thing. It is a big show where a lot of the public actually go along. Um, so you get a lot of people actually travelling from the UK over there for the show. Yep, from um, Thursday the 14th through Sunday the 17th, they fling doors open to the, the great unwashed, and Manny and James will be two of those. Uh, <laughs> and so, yeah, it, it's it's one of those where it's it's open to the public. Obviously, unlike a lot of you know the, the um, electronics trade shows that you go to, this is very much designed in, in kind of a, a bifurcated manner. You've got the... the big press briefings and then you've got the trade 
show floor. Um, so lots of people mingle, lots of people stay around from the press side of things. And so it's it's very much an open event. It, it's one of the things I hate about IFA. Come back to IFA. They do open that up to the public, although they give press two days, is it, Steve? I can't quite remember. I think it's two days, isn't it? Uh, that it's close to press and trade, and then they open it up to the public. And once yeah. the public come in, it's just a bloody nightmare. You just have to get the hell out of Dodge when that one turns yeah, up. Totally. Yeah, but you can play a German heavy metal t shirt bingo. So it's not all bad. Come on. You're going to have to explain this one. Essentially, uh, I don't want to say too much. Well, the Munich high-end show where we developed this game, we used to actually develop an uh, a, 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 originally a three by three, but as it game as as the as it evolved, it went up to a six by six card of heavy metal bands. And as you saw a T-shirt of that band being worn by someone at the show, you ticked it off, and the first person to get a full house, well, it was, there'd be some sort of crap prize. Um, and it didn't matter how obscure or rubbish a band you thought of. Normally, you'd see someone wearing it. I mean, one year I lucked out because I saw someone wearing an REO Speedwagon T-shirt, apparently <laughs> without a trace of irony. Um, and Aoife's almost as good for that. Although one year there was a man who, who'd taken it a stage further. He was wearing an open leather waistcoat and nothing else on top <laughs> he just had his pendulous german beer gut just hanging out over the ether exhibits he um yeah he, he cut a dash so yeah i i don't know i i i, uh, I always find watching the general public to be an oddly fascinating experience and and you know having, having them wandering around is always game for a laugh uh anyway i think we were discussing the games news <laughs> <laughs> Oh, it didn't take us long, did it? Um, focus. So, so anyway, focus. Back on back on the subject in hand, uh, which is the games podcast. It's coming up this week. Uh, so if you're interested in games, finish this podcast and then go and download uh, the games podcast, which should be available from the 14th. And if I remember correctly, the 14th should be Thursday if today is Wednesday. Is that right, Mark? Yes, that is right. Excellent. Uh, so that's games. Uh, we'll be back in a sec with some movies. Okay, uh, so as always, we'll start this segment with uh, what's at the cinema, Steve. Well, this weekend, this weekend, fellow went to go and see the Inbetweeners movie two. I know, I think because the Inbetweeners two actually has done no movie bit in it this time, um, which is obviously the sequel to the Inbetweeners movie, which is one of the most successful films ever in the UK, believe it or not. Uh, I actually rewatched the Inbetweeners movie um, that afternoon before going to see the sequel in the evening at the cinema. And I thought the first movie that, uh, was really good. I thought it was uh, charming, sweet, I mean, a little bit rude in places, very funny. But it had a, a real character arc to the story, and the guys kind of, the, the four main characters sort of developed and grew up a little bit by the end of it. And they all met girls, and the girls were well fleshed out and interesting characters in their own right. Um, that was a great movie, really enjoyed it. Um, the sequel, not so much. Um, it is funny in places, but they just go too far with the gross out comedy. I mean, within the opening five minutes, you've already seen. Neil, who's dressed up as Hermione for a, for a um, fancy dress party, playing snooker while a dog licks his balls. That's in the first five minutes. Uh, and after that, he just goes downhill pretty quickly. Uh, some of it was absolutely vomit-inducingly appalling at times. Uh, and I'm not a man that's easily shocked. But even I was like, oh, that's, a bit, that's a bit much. <laughs> um, there, there, some of it's very funny, but uh, also more annoyingly. But basically, the four girls they established in the previous film, and two of them aren't in the film at all. One of them's character is completely different, 
Uh, and you kind of, they kind of just basically sabotage her character totally for the purposes of the film. It seemed very unfair. And um, one of them in it briefly, um, and again, doesn't really get any screen time, doesn't feel particularly sympathetic. So they kind of just like trashed the whole previous film in order to make another film. Obviously, it made a sequel because um, the previous film was so successful. But I get the feeling that they wrote the previous film as a sort of, you know, a bookend to the TV series. And then when they made so much money, they thought, well, we've got to do another one. Um, and so in this one, the lads go on a holiday again. So they've already been on holiday once in the previous film. Now it's, I mean, it's basically the classic English um, movie based upon a TV series. They always go on holiday, holiding on the buses. You know, it's, it's the, that's the sort of default solution to any TV, any film version of a TV series in the UK. Send the character somewhere exotic and basically on holiday. So this time they're going uh, backpacking around Australia. And, and hilarity sometimes and vomit-inducing disgust sometimes uh, and other times um, ensues. I was a little bit disappointed. I, it, it, don't get me wrong, it's, it's very funny in times. Um, it's, it can be extremely funny, but uh, some of it, which was, I just felt like they were pushing it. To, to want, want, it's like they wanted to outgross the, some of the American comedies that have been made recently, and I just think they went a bit too far at times. Uh, and you kind of lost some of the sympathy for the characters. Uh, um, and at the end of it, you kind of felt like, yeah, I've had enough now, I don't really want a third film. But isn't that... Isn't that always the way with the kind of bawdy shock comedies, which is they're funny, then they're hilarious, then they're they're so funny, and then there's such a fine line between very funny and I don't want to watch this anymore. There is, there was, there is, there is a fine line, and they went right right over it. Unfortunately, I mean, if you look at the TV series or even the first film, there are moments of you know of bawdy, uh, you know, shock shock tactics and 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 some quite unpleasant scenes, but they're always done in a rather sweet and innocent way. So even though what's happening to them is a little bit unpleasant, but they're kind of the characters themselves. You still sort of endearing, you still find them endearing. So it doesn't feel quite so shocking. Whereas in this one. Um, there, there was some pretty unpleasant stuff going on. And I think they crossed the line. And it's a shame because uh, I've, I'm a massive fan of the TV series. I think the TV series is really funny. It's brilliant. It's perfectly absurd. I mean, I don't know about the rest of you guys, but that's exactly what it was like when I was in school. Uh, you always have the kid who talks bullshit all the time. You've always got the ones a bit thick, you know, the one that kind of not, looks normal and the ones a bit of a nerdy twat. I mean, it's very well observed. It's very funny. The dialogue was extremely funny. Um, Were you describing school or us then? <laughs> Yeah, a little bit. Uh, and, and, and like I said, the, the first film, I thought, did a really good job of, of taking those characters and giving them a kind of a story arc so they, they developed over the course of the film. And at the end of it, there was a, a natural conclusion, really. This just felt like milking it for money, uh, throwing as many knob gags as possible, you know, getting a shatter on, pissed on, uh, you know, whatever. And then at the end of it. And also, no Australian cliche was left unturned in this film. I'd say they, they went through the lot and it was kind of like, well, that's not really what Australia is like, to be honest. That's just a terribly cliche and slightly... What, did they um, leave some immigrants on boats? <laughs> um, but, yeah, might as well have. I mean, it was, yeah. I, I, I was a little bit, yeah. Just, I mean, I was looking forward to it, to be honest, and, and I did feel... Although I did wonder, before, I thought, well, how are they going to do this? Because the previous film had a kind of very natural conclusion to it. Um and yeah, unfortunately, my, my worst fears were confirmed because it, it felt like they kind of just ignored the previous film and then just went, went all out for the gross-out comedy. And so what score did you give it? Um, I'll give it a, a 7 out of 10 because I still like, like, like the in-betweeners and it is, it is, there are lots of laughs in there. But uh, if, you're not, if you're easily shocked, and presumably people that are won't be going to see the in-betweeners too, um, but if, if, you, if, you, if you're a fan of the TV show but you're not too keen on, say, scatological humour, you might not want to go and see it. <laughs> okay, fair enough. And um, I, I know we have no running order this week, but uh, anything decent coming out on disc that you can think of? Uh, well, next week, 
you've got uh, the release of Captain America, The Winter Soldier, which I, I saw at the cinema and thoroughly enjoyed. I highly recommend it. I think it's an excellent Marvel comic book movie. I think it's one of the best ones they've done, actually. Uh, really interesting storyline, uh, a bit darker, a bit more of a political thriller, you know, more of a conspiracy theory thriller, uh, uh, very much in the vein of the 1970s um, sort of political conspiracy theory movies. Um some really good action set pieces. Uh, I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. I definitely recommend that. Um, Boardwalk Empire season four is out. Uh, I haven't seen season four yet, actually, but um, uh, certainly I've really enjoyed seasons one, two, and three. Uh, again, it's uh, one of the great HBO shows that's on at the moment. But executive produced by Martin Scorsese. Um, got uh, Steve Buscemi in the lead role as Nucky Thompson, and uh, a very enjoyable um, sort of game. It's set during Prohibition era in Atlantic City, and it is an excellent series. Actually based uh, on true events as well, which is... Yeah, it is ba based upon true events. I mean, obviously they do deviate to some extent, but there's a lot of stock characters and people like uh, Al Capone's in it, played by um, Stephen Graham, uh, who's an English actor. In fact, quite a few English actors and actresses are actually in, in the movie, British actors and actresses are in the movie. Um, and what else have we got out? We got, oh, uh, New York Winter's Tale, uh, or as it's known in America, Winter's Tale, which is what the book's called. I think they put the New York bit in so we wouldn't think it was the Shakespearean play. Because uh, obviously Americans wouldn't have a clue what that was. Uh, it's uh, Colin Farrell, <laughs> Russell Crowe. That's true, isn't it? I'm pretty sure most Americans would not know Winter's Tale is. Uh, I think that's possibly a little harsh. Um, yeah, but it's it's like the the old joke. What, what was it, Richard the? Um, Richard yeah, the, 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 the third. But I haven't seen the other two. <laughs> well, he did change title to Man's the King George, didn't they? I think f f that was one of the reasons. <laughs> Um, anyway, it's based upon a book called Winter's Tale. It stars Colin Farrell, Russell Crowe, and John Connolly. I saw it at the cinema. I have read the book, which I, I kind of liked, but it's one of those books I think is very difficult to turn into a film. It's probably unfilmable. I don't think it succeeded in this in this effort. Um, it's just a bit too... Some of the things that happen in the book just look silly on screen. Also, Russell Crowe is having up something chronic with the worst Irish accent in cinema history. You'd think, given that he had someone on the set who's actually Irish, he could have done a better job than that, but... Unfortunately not, so I'd probably say give that a miss. Uh, Could he not have just done his Robin Hood accent? <laughs> that was near enough. Yeah, that well, that covered the whole country. Didn't it? it was a bit of Scott, a bit of Irish, a bit of Welsh, a bit of West Country, a bit of North, North. Worst cinema accent ever, I think. Um, Come on, Dick Van Dyke and Mary Poppins. Is no, still no, just... no, Dick, Dick, that was a great Cockney accent. <laughs> no, it's a great people. accent, certainly. It, it's, it's a masterpiece. Value. Yes. Um, they've got the, Amazon is saying that Bound, Bound, the uh, first film by the Wachowski siblings, uh, is coming out this week. But that's not true because I got it on order and it hasn't turned up yet. It's actually coming out next. Um, oh, maybe it is next week. Um, I think I got an email from them saying it'd been pushed back. But um, I know Cats is doing a review of that. Uh, it looks like a really interesting package. Um, plenty of good extras on there. Uh, I like the film. It's it's a really they made it basically so they could prove to Warner's they could they would let them they would they could make a movie so they would give them the money to make the Matrix, but it is a really nice little um, it's, sort it's, of um, thriller. Is that the one with the lesbians? Yeah. Sorry, I remember that. It does have a it does have a five minute single take lesbian sex scene that is worth yeah, watching. Yeah, I, I, I can, That's I can price remember. Alone. <laughs> I can remember that. I can't remember any of the rest of the film. <laughs> it's a good movie. It actually, is, it is a good movie. It's a nice little talk, twist and turns in the plot. Uh, interesting cast. Uh, Jennifer Tilly, Gina Gershon, and Joe Pantoliano. Um, I, I'd recommend it. If you haven't seen it, it's good. And if you have seen it, you probably wouldn't mind getting it because, as I said, there's some excellent extras on that disc. There's also um, The Quiet Ones, which I saw at the cinema. 
uh, and should have been called the unquiet ones or the noisy ones, I suppose, because it's, I don't know, I actually never found out when watching the film why it was called the quiet ones. They never explained that. Um, it was one of those films that you kind of uh, hope would be, you know, you, you, you hoped it was going for a sort of 70s vibe, um, you know, ghost story, um, you know, one of those thriller, um, horror movies in the vein of hey, the woman in black where the thrills come from you know, um, effects and, 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 and atmosphere and tension rather than just from blood and gore and that sort of stuff. But it, it, it was claiming to be based upon a true story, which clearly it isn't. And uh, it, it unfortunately kind of lost me. It started off seeming interesting, but then kind of towards the end, it just it, it just lost its uh, structure and, and it wasn't very frightening at all. And there's also The Last, last Days on Mars, which I've seen on Netflix, which you can watch on Netflix US if you want, if you've got access to it. Um, which is about a, a mission to Mars, and they just before they leave, a virus turns up and everyone starts killing each other, which was very derivative, but okay, but very derivative. I think that's it for next week, yes. Okay, uh, thanks for that, Steve. And um, I wanted to go to uh, one of the articles, which uh, were really good articles, which Kaz has put up uh, on the site, still on the, the homepage, if you want to have a look at it. It's called The, the Long Wait for Mad Max at Fury Road. Um, and this raised quite a good question because we had, uh, we had a question on one of the podcast threads uh, regarding our thoughts on, obviously, a new Mad Max film. Uh, but also, uh, Ed kind of pointed to uh, the time between movies and, and how long is too long. Uh, either between sequels or uh, brand new prequels. Uh, so let's go Ed first. Uh, Ed, Fury Road, what do you think, first of all, and then the time between it? This, for me, it's one of those awkward ones because it's like you and Star Wars because even if they announced that Mad Max was going to be played by, I don't know, um, the, who's the fat bloke in Superbad or something like that? It doesn't matter how unsuitable Jonah, and you Jonah know it was going to be done exclusively with electric cars or golf carts. It's still a Mad Max film, and I would still pay money and go to the cinema and watch it. Um, but nonetheless, it's been a very long time, hasn't it? And not not only that, it's been a very long time since the last Mad Max film, which with the best will in the world wasn't very good. So it's been even longer back to a Mad Max film that was any cop. Um, and our view of necessarily what a post-apocalyptic world might look like, we've kind of you know come to come to the idea that it probably won't be jam-packed full of cars that do three miles to the gallon. It's a. I don't know. I'm. I'm. I'm obviously keen. Um, Tom Hardy doesn't generally pick stuff which is rubbish, um, and the teaser trailer looks a lot of fun. But I don't know. It may. It may just be too long. I mean, you know, it, it came out when I was, you know, quite young. We are talking about. It's, it's to all intents and purposes is a twenty year gap, isn't it? Um, well, actually, uh, it's nearly 30, it's 29 years since Mad Max Beyond Thunderdome. Bloody hell. That and makes me feel 30, both old. 33 years since, well, I think when Mad Max 2 came out, you were one, weren't you? Ed? Yes. I, I, I <laughs> had to watch it retrospectively. I wasn't there, at the, I wasn't there at the cinema, I'll be honest. Uh, speaking you. of someone who remembers Mad Max coming out, I mean, I was too young to go and see it at the cinema. It was, it was an X certificate and I was only like 10. But um, back in 79, it, when it came out, I was like, uh, it looked really cool, though, in the trailers on TV. I thought, oh, that looks good. And when the whole video thing kicked in a few years later, I managed to watch Mad Max and Mad Max 2. And I enjoyed Mad Max a lot. I thought Mad Max 2 was absolutely brilliant. I think it was a masterpiece. Um, Mad Max Beyond Thunderdome, you're right, Ted, a bit of a disappointment. It's got some 
nice got some fun bits in it but um yeah it felt a bit uh it felt a bit repetitive um based on after mad max 2 also it had some stunt casting in it like you know tina turner and angry well, so let's be honest it doesn't have enough cars in it no no they spend too much time a, hanging around in one place don't they bloody road movies and then they decided to make the third one not a road movie yeah well done brilliant uh, also, uh, also, something really annoyed me was they had they had Bruce Spence playing who played the gyro gyrocopter captain in um, in Mad Max Two. Two. Turns up as a totally different character in Mad Max in Mad Max Beyond Thunderdome. I mean, you think, well, that was just that's just confusing. Why didn't they hire use somebody else? It's um, weird. Or, or have him play the same character, but they obviously use the same character because they never at one any point do the two of them recognize one another or reference the previous film. Um, this. Mad Max Fury Road, which I believe has been in production now for something like 25 years, so it's had a very torturous production um, with, you know, attempts to film it that have, you know, run into problems with weather and this kind of thing, and then, you know, uh, funding issues. Um, uh, I think the budget has ballooned, you know, something well beyond anything you'd expect for a Mad Max movie, considering most of it involves a bunch of cars driving around the desert. Um, obviously, in the meantime, in this 25-year period, Mel Gibson's too old for the part now so they recast it with tom hardy uh who at least in the trailer looks the part got the right haircut and i couldn't quite work out what he was doing aussie accent but i think he was um it looks great in the trailer but it, what it looks like it is uh more of a, a reboot or perhaps even remake of, of mad max 2 as much as anything um that you know you, you certainly see the last of the v8 interceptors at the beginning of the trailer so that's in it which obviously got blown up in mad max 2 um then you see it get blown up again in the trailer so it's like okay so that's yeah. like Mad max 2 um but there did there were some absolutely incredible stunts in the trailer i thought they, they looked pretty cool and you've got Charlize theron in there and um yeah i mean it, it looks like it's going to be fun but I, I think you have to treat it as kind of a a separate film from the, from the original mel gibson trilogy and, and whether there's a market 25 or nearly 30 years later for another mad max movie i don't know i'll i'll be there Definitely, I'm sure you will, Ed. Um, yeah, but as I say, I don't know how well it, I, it, I, I'm going to have to. I, I might have to poll some of my wife's pupils on this because they're all young, and it's like because they don't get me wrong. Tom Hardy carries a lot of carries a lot of screen weight, and we'll, we'll we'll see how it pans out. What I find interesting is your comments there. I don't get me wrong. I like Mad Max Two very much, but for me, it's always been about the first one. I mean, obviously, it's shot on a pittance, but it's more about the vestiges of civilization, and it just fraying around the edges. And I, I think, given given the incredibly limited budget, and given the fact that it, it you know, it's not chock full of Oscar winners, I, I think they managed to convey that incredibly well. And I, I think that that would have been more interesting to revisit. But yeah, hey, what do I know? I, I I don't have a single successful blockbuster to my name, so uh, you know. But I I just feel that I I would have much rather seen perhaps a imme either immediate aftermath of of the first one or just that revisiting that time period. I thought would 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 have been much more interesting. But you know, I'm trying to think of examples where a, a film has had a sequel. If you class this as a sequel, so long after the previous film, I guess the obvious example would be Tron Legacy. Which, what about yeah. Predator? Predators, that was yeah, kind yeah. of semi-reboot, semi-sequel. Although they had, they had had the Alien versus Predator movies in the meantime to just really ruin the whole franchise. <laughs> just to really put uh, you off. Um, but, but Tron, Tron was, what, 1982, and Tron Legacy yeah. was, when was that? 2012. Yeah, so that's a 
30-year gap. And I don't think Tron Legacy was that successful. I mean, I mean, everyone remembers Tron quite fondly, you know, for those of us of a certain age do anyway. Mm. You know, it didn't do very well when it came out, by the way. But it was the first film to sort of really use computer-generated effects. It didn't use any computer-generated effects. No, there, are, there are CG effects in it. Not really. It's all rotoscope. It's unbelievable. No, no, no. There's a lot... There's a lot of rotoscope in it, yeah. The, the, obviously, at the time it came out, Disney lied through their teeth about how much CG is in there. There is CG in there. The light, the light, side, light cycle chase is CG. But there's as much CG as they pretended there was. A lot of it is just cell animation or rotoscoping. That's, that's kind, of like, right. uh, kind, kind of like Jurassic Park as well. I mean, it, it got loads and loads of comments about, oh, fantastic CGI, whereas, you know, 80% it's of the effects were, were practical yeah. effects. Which is why it holds up yeah. so well still today, yeah. actually. Yeah, yeah, totally. Um, but anyway, I, mean, I suppose so the other one, I mean, if we wanted a real, a real disappointment is Indiana Jones and the Crystal Skull. Oh, let's yeah. Never happened. <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'd forgotten. That's, okay. Yes. That's, you that's guys, have, you guys have all taken your memory, memory erasing. <laughs> but let's know. face it. That was a long time. Uh, they took the decision to put Harrison Ford back in and, I don't. I don't remember leaving a cinema feeling quite so empty inside, in a long time. Actually, if ever, it was. A, a, yeah, that was possibly one of the most disappointing theatrical experiences of my and entire life. And it makes life. it all the more interesting that having, you know, known that. I obviously, I'm sure, if you're an actor, you, you especially if you've been an actor as long as Harrison Ford has, you ignore what the internet's doing because. I suppose most sane, happy, healthy people do. But, um, you know, the fact that he's signed back on to do an even longer gapped thing in Star Wars, I don't know. That's, that's... Yeah, but you see, the, the difference there, though, is that um, the people in charge of the movie, i.e. the director and so on, are younger generation and not mm. attached to the previous stuff, whereas uh, Indiana Jones, it was Spielberg again, and it was Lucas, and Lucas completely rewrote the... I mean, there's loads and loads and loads of theories and and stories about what actually went on behind the scenes with that that indie film which um you know if you believed even you know one percent of the rumor that went about then lucas screwed that film over basically it was certainly one of the most disappointing films i think i've seen this century yeah well i'm, I'm in the same camp as mark i've completely forgotten it i have wiped it from my memory <laughs> nicely done there certainly isn't a good history of sequels that come along a long time after the film that preceded them. So I'm thinking here of examples like um, The Two Jakes that came after Chinatown, that didn't do very well. Evening Star, which, which came after Turns of Endearment, again, didn't do very well. Texasville, which replaced, which came after um, The Last Picture Show, again, didn't do very well. Uh, I think there's, there's probably a, an opportunity, a window of opportunity where you can do a sequel. And then once you get to sort of 20 or 30 years afterwards, you either just start again. I mean, if you look at the... The thing, I mean, that that it was prequel, but also basically a remake of the of John Carpenter's The Thing. Um, this Mad Max Fury looks a bit like that as well, a bit like more of a reboot remake. It must be said the temptation to reboot after a while. Uh, I mean, it must. I will say now. I'm I'm sure that you guys are possibly going to disagree with me on this one, and I have to stress it wasn't necessarily a classic film that it followed up on. But I did think that uh, the follow-up to Wall Street, the Money Never Sleeps thing, that chose its moment quite well because they launched it in the spate of a second yeah. banking crisis. Mm -hmm. I thought that Michael Douglas 
reappraised his role quite nicely. I didn't feel anything like as much urge to punch Shia LaBeouf as I normally do. Because um, he was certainly unbearable in... Um, he's, mostly, he's, most, he's mostly unbearable. <laughs> I thought that was quite clever. And I thought that that was quite a successful revisiting. And, and it has to be... That's got to be 22, 23 years. But doesn't that also... That's a, a film where the characters themselves follow the passage of time that actually... Yeah, they're allowed to between, grow old as well. Exactly, whereas I think my worry about this kind of Mad Max sequel, stroke, reboot, prequel, whatever it is, I'm trying to stay away from all publicity to do with it because I'm, I'm scared that I'll, I'll kind of go into it with feelings, you know, that I'll, I'll just end up let down. But there was a particular era where kind of post-apocalyptic films just seemed to feel right in kind of late 70s, early 80s, that kind of era. Well, let's Something face it, there about was a credible threat of nuclear I was going to say, yeah. kind of Cold War, Reaganism, that kind of thing. Yeah. World War Three seemed quite probable at the time. In an era, once you've seen, as soon as you're living in a town with more kind of Costa Coffees and Toyota Priuses than you can count, somehow it just doesn't seem like the apocalypse is near enough. <laughs> well, it doesn't, it doesn't. I, mean, I, I will say, going, going back to what Steve was talking about last week, the situation in which the apocalypse of the planet these new planet of the apes movies is created mm. that has traction that's mm -hmm. you can you can you can feel that um and and, and i think i you know I, have, I haven't seen the new one but as I said, how the last one ends that feels I mean, especially when you then combine it with stuff like contagion and things like that if we are looking at an, a 21st century you know early 21st century apocalypse i think we can almost certainly work on the principle of it being pathogen rather yeah. than bomb based yeah totally and you just have to look at uh, the ebola thing at the minute as well and how quickly that could get out of hand yeah mm. and, and it's believable then C completely believable uh, that that could be a credible threat that could wipe out oh, millions. It's, it's not just believable, Phil. It's inevitable that at some point a airborne, an, a, a lethal airborne virus will be spread around the world. Yeah, more but it has to be something altogether, altogether more robust than Ebola. Yeah. Oh, no, no it would yeah. be better because it's actually quite difficult to catch it. It, it is, yeah, and, it, and it's, got, it's got a short lifespan as well. Yeah, because um, it's so, so lethal. Um, <laughs> but if you look at 1918 Spanish flu virus, that, that yeah, killed, well, killed more killed people than the World War One did. Yeah, yeah. And that was before we had, you know, current modern air travel. So you can imagine the devastation that will be wreaked by it. By, and it will happen. It will start in Asia. I guarantee that. Almost every major virus has. Um, and it will spread across the planet within days. And the death toll will be in the hundreds of millions. And that's But we'll still record a Absolutely. podcast. We'll be yeah, there. We'll still be here. We'll be away, <laughs> coughing up our hey. own internal yeah, organs. I was in see, Hong Kong with SARS is, was on. It didn't bother me. Yeah, but you see, the, the thing is, Ed, you've got to go out and about to catch a virus. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> yeah. We're the only ones that are going to survive. <laughs> the geeks if it's just us four repopulating the planet, I could don't be tricky. Think... <laughs> yeah. yeah, someone's going to have a very. Actually, I don't wear the dress. <laughs> you got a real pretty mouth, boy. <laughs> Squirrel like a pig. Well, I, I'll have to expedite my car purchase in that case. Because that, that bad boy's got, got no modern electronics in it. Um, anyway, sorry, what were we talking about? Oh, yeah, Apocalypse. Uh, yeah, I mean, um, I think um, I think Mark's got a point. I mean, I think the Mad Max movies are very much films of their time, that kind of post-late yes. 70s um, 
you know the, the problems with the you know there was there was obviously there'd been uh, a depression there'd been um, problems with oil you know oil prices going through the roof everyone's worried about the Middle East you know, the, the, the threat of nuclear war which you know I remember when I was a kid we genuinely thought this is the pop music from the early 80s we, we were all going to die in nuclear war I used to go to bed no, watching no, 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 that's I, completely plausible I, but I it's interesting you go back to energy crisis it's like God, guys, we're running out of gasoline. Right, what you need to do is get into your seven-liter supercharged <laughs> ported head supercar and 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 hoon around for a bit. Because if there's one way to preserve our precious remaining stocks of oil, it's to drive around in a in, in a muscle car. Yes. A bit in Mad Max Two, where he's like dipping, dapping up the oil with yeah. his like cloth or something. So if that's going to be any use in his V8 interceptor. Can I? Um, I can I, I, I? We're we're already biffing around on and off topic. There's a scene right at the start of Mad Max Two where. Um, Actually, the car, it's not Mel driving, let's be honest about this. The car's brought to a halt because he throws it into reverse whilst it's still travelling forwards, straight after he tips the buggy onto its side and shortly before the petrol dabbing scene. If you revisit, the car comes to a halt because the rear wheels are going backwards as it decelerates forwards. Now, names have been changed to protect the innocent, but... This got myself and a couple of other guys you, thinking. You've already told this story on this podcast. Yeah. Well, we, as I say, we, we've done that before. Uh, just don't, is all I can say. Um, <laughs> it, it works once. <laughs> and you didn't protect the innocent. It was you and your dad in a high yeah, car. Yeah, <laughs> it was. It was. Uh, it was unfortunate. But no, as, as I say, that that's the one that sticks out. Uh, uh, one of these days, I'm going to own a car <laughs> with a transmission that's actually up to doing that. Um, you know, or not, as the case may be. So. Anyway, so we've run out of time. Unfortunately, uh, we're well over time. Uh, so, the last subject there. If you have any thoughts on uh, movie sequels or prequels that were um, too far apart from the original movies, or you want to see stuff come back, even though it's been 20 odd years, uh, then leave your comments in the podcast section underneath this podcast. You can also ask uh, the edits uh, questions, you can leave them there, or they will get picked up quicker if you leave them on a Monday on our Twitter page, which is uh, at AV Forums uh, with the hashtag AskTheIdiots. And I need to thank Steve Withers. You've seen it, you've heard it, and you're still asking questions? Mark Bot, right? No, not again. I'm through. I'm quitting. And Ed Selly. Nothing a year in the tropics wouldn't fix. Don't forget, you can follow us on Twitter and Facebook. I'm Phil Hinton. Thanks very much for listening, and we'll see you again next Wednesday. Wednesday.